welcome back to the Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben, the boss, Bateman. Ben Bateman, the boss. I'm here. It's dignified. He called me the boss, guys. You got it. It's on record. It's it's all over the internet. You can Google it and find it. You know what my original, do you know my original name? I had a different moniker for my first three matches. No. I was Ben Big Time Bateman. That's so much better and worse at the same. It's like, it's worse, but it's better. (laughs) I was Big Time and I lost my first couple matches is what I want to say. I think my first singles match I was Big Time, but teams I had been Big Time and I lost. And so we changed it to the boss. I changed my entrance music. And then ironically, this guy named Ethan, who's who actually is a big time producer, like he produced Kiss, he, he like produced Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys and like Sherlock Holmes. He's a good friend of mine. He is a big time person, <laughs> and he came in and they called him Ethan Big Time Irwin, and then he went and he won the title. Okay, so now he is still so he stole Ethan. your name. So really, the boss is a secondary lesser than <laughs> I mean, if you want to you want to frame it that way but ethan now ethan now this season is actually playing a character called mr Irwin. he had been doing ethan big time Irwin for a while but he finally bought into the character stuff so now he like puts his hair in a ponytail and shows up in a suit and all the people who are like in his faction are always like mr Irwin would like you to leave <laughs> it's always it's like it's really good so so for those joining us for the first time we are a modern and magic the gathering focused podcast and youtube show we're talking today specifically about uh the power nine so if people are not familiar with it it is a series of cards originally uh printed in alpha and then beta uh that are and unlimited i believe uh that are considered the most iconic magic cards of all time Maybe that there's arguments against that for some of them and for maybe some of the cards we're going to talk about today. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about what is the modern version uh, of the Power Nine. What what if you look at the modern format historically, what would we if we were to build a Power Nine for that format? What would that be? And we also talk about what that was maybe before uh, uh, War of the Spark and uh, 2019, 2018, and after War of the Spark and the Modern Horizons era and where we're at right now. So uh, then did you put but real quick, we're going to get into this, but did you put a question about this on TikTok? I'm curious. I did not put it on TikTok. I did put it on Twitter and our Discord. And if you okay. uh, want to get early access to being able to participate in the conversation on Discord, uh, we have a Discord link below, and it's for the Masters of Modern Discord. We uh, often get talk episode suggestions or what we're going to be talking about there. Um, we also have a Patreon, which is also important. You get a full uh, almost week early of the audio content, a day early of video content, plus that audio content has a bonus around 15 minutes of content every week uh that's not necessarily always about magic it's often about movies or food or comic books or uh anime or whatever we're kind of watching or hanging out with video games uh and i highly recommend checking the patreon out uh right now i believe that the the two dollar tier has been sold out so now there's five dollar tier but the five dollar tier also comes with the uh 24 hour early release of the video episode so uh, a bunch of cool content there make sure to check out patreon thank you to all of our patrons pinkies up uh, thank you so much for all of your support. You're the reason this podcast can keep happening uh, almost seven years into it. Let's talk Power Nine. So uh, I do want to preface this, and, and we've been doing this a while. So we're we're going to be doing the Ultra Pro sponsored trivia question uh, that's going to lead Whoa. us into this conversation. Uh, so uh, the way this is going to work is uh, we're going to we're really we really could use your likes and subscribes. If you're new to this channel, please hit that subscribe button. If you're if you're uh, a loyal listener. Uh, we're going to want that that like, but to, we, we, we want to earn it. So 
Uh, we're, so we're going to bet it. We're, we're making a bet. If you can get this trivia question correct, you don't have to hit the like button. We'll appreciate it, but it's not required. Uh, but you have to comment below with the answer uh, before Ben can answer it. And if you take too long or you get it wrong, then you have to hit that like button. And it is a Power 9 themed one. This is brought to our sponsor, Ultra Pro. Uh, you can see this cool Ultra Pro Ashiok binder here, and it is related to that. Uh, but we'll get that to a second. Ben. Yes. Why? is the power nine nine cards why is the power nine nine of all like in magic eight is often because it's like a top eight you know that's a normal thing 10 is a normal thing to count things on in magic there are five colors why is it you know it could be a a top five a power five why is it a power of all numbers in magic which like basically i can't think of anywhere else that number is relevant but here why is the power nine the power nine it's because classically binders have nine cards per sheet, three across, three down. And so you wanted to be able to display your nine cards in the nine slot. So I'm showing uh, off I'm showing off some cards. These are some tokens from Inkling Custom uh in in our this Ultra Bro uh binder. Uh and there's nine cards there. That is correct. The the it was just the like when you had your binder, the front page was going to be your nine best cards. And if you can get the nine best, you would show them off. And that was the Power Nine. And and the original Power Nine are the Five Moxen, Black Lotus, Time Twister, uh, Ancestral Recall, and Time Walk. Three blue cards, five Moxen, so a, an artifact that produces a color of each color of the mana, and Black Lotus. That is that is the, the, the Power Nine. Now, there's been arguments for like a Power Ten, sometimes Time... Uh, boring, boring time, time vault time vaults brought up there soul ring which is often not included because it was it wasn't a rare like but one of the reasons these cards were on this list is they were the nine most expensive cards from that era and what's interesting about this too is that if you go back to the original magic like the people who played back then because i i did not play it until 95 so by the time i played magic was expensive already and these cards are already very expensive but my brother played He's who got me into magic and he played and he bought unlimited. He bought his first box was unlimited. So he knew even by the time unlimited came out, which was only less than two years since after the launch of magic, I think it was like a year later. Um, these were already very expensive. They were already now they weren't expensive prohibitively like they are now. Like in that time, he had one of each mocks. He didn't have a Lotus, but he had had a Lotus. Then he traded a Lotus away. Like, you know, it was, like a hundred dollar card, a fifty dollar card, kind of a thing. Like Lotus was a hundred bucks, and like something else was like two bucks. You know, it was expensive, but it wasn't like a million dollars or yeah. like ten thousand dollars. Like when we did top decking, we borrowed a Black Lotus from um, excuse me, All MTG Star Deals. Cards? It was MTG Deals uh, for because it was like a big plot point that he was going to buy this Black Lotus, and right there was a whole thing about it, and it was a signed Richard Garfield Black Lotus, and it was it was pretty beat up. Like mind you, it was like definitely almost yeah. damaged if not heavily played heavily played if not almost damaged uh and five hundred dollars yeah i mean it's things have changed a lot <laughs> things have changed a lot i mean scarcity yeah. scarcity and popularity right there's the more popular the game gets the more important the legacy and lineage of the game gets and then specifically and this is something that's interesting talking to a lot of our friends who are dealers and who sell singles they will all tell you the same thing which is that primarily the people who are buying lotuses almost always are not actually buying the Lotus to have any type of gameplay experience with it. They're buying it 100% as a collector. And it's because they grew up wanting a Black Lotus. Now they have money. 
now they can buy that thing that when they were a kid was the thing. And 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 for for reference for people who don't know this, and this is a, I, I, we uh, I also understand that a lot of our audience knows already. Black Lotus, I believe, currently holds the record for most expensive piece of cardboard sold at five hundred and eleven thousand dollars. A Charizard Shadowless graded ten or grade whatever high grade uh, graded version of that was sold for. I want to say three hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and please, you know, comment if I'm, I got that wrong. Uh, but Black Lotus currently, it was a signed by uh, Christopher Rush. It was it was a graded Black Lotus Mint Ten, right? Like that's like a thing that basically barely exists, and then the case itself was then signed by Christopher Rush, who has passed. So that's that's the most expensive version of cardboard ever sold. It is estimated that there is approximately five thousand black lotuses in existence in a sellable condition, in any in any edition, alpha, beta, or unlimited. So it's the holy grail. Um, that's the OG card. Now the second tier after you get past black lotus are the moxes, the moxen. There's one of each color. Um, it's interesting too when you th- when you talk about these cards and their sort of power level relative to today's. All all cards in this, they're all very powerful. Some people have said that they think. Well, actually, hilariously enough, I think over the years, Time Twister has proven to be more powerful in some ways than the other two blue cards. I think I think Time Twister is the is still the is the least powerful card on this set. And the one card that there are a few different versions of what it does that there are better versions of. Still pretty good, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good. Well, that's did you, and that's, did you you eventually after years of wanting one, you actually bought one, right? Like no, you just, no, 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 I don't. I've never owned power. Uh, I've never owned any. Uh, I thought about bringing when we went to Magic the Gathering Las Vegas. I was going to like think about bringing cards that I'd like picked up. I have a bunch of like secret layer cards I'm never going to play uh, and try and try it right into one. Uh, but I didn't do that. I thought Twister was expensive, but still like in the range of gettable, like a beat up one you could get for like less than a thousand worth of cards or something. Is that not true anymore? That was that was and, and I, I the the last part of this episode I want to talk about is is going to be about the power night itself and its relationship to like commander and other formats that he plays in. But uh, really briefly, uh, time twister is a fascinating one because it is the worst of the power nine, like of the power nine effects. It is the worst, but it is the only one that is currently legal in commander. And so it's gained its own version of like notoriety in a way that the other ones haven't been able to in modern eras because CDH and wheel focused decks want to have a time twister. You can play with that right. in the format. So it has significantly picked up in playability where the other, you know, the other sets eight are really only played in like vintage. I play, see a lot of play on moto, right? Like vintage is the one place that formats kept alive is on magic the gathering online and then cube, right? Like people have powered cubes that have power in them. Yeah. So, but, but uh, I do want to, before we jump into that conversation, I do want to bring it back to modern because that's, this is a modern podcast. So, so that's, that's what we're, you know, that's the, the iconicness. This is the iconic nine cards of early day magic that have just held on to their mythos in the same way that Superman volume one has, or, you know, venture comics number uh, volume one has held on to action, its mythos. Action, action, action comics, comics, action comics, number one. And uh, I wanted to bring that to, to modern, you know, modern, modern is now been around long enough that I think there is an argument for a lot of different cards of being that power nine. And, and what does that look like? Now, I think we decided at the beginning of this conversation that banned cards count partially because if you look at every other format of magic, the power nine are banned in the, them as well and have been banned pretty much yep. since early days of magic. So I think that's a fair ask. I do think 
So we, I was thinking about this since we talked at the beginning, and, and I want to hear your thoughts. I don't think we should include cards that have been banned forever. Oh, interesting. Like so, Chrome mocks. You don't want you don't want Chrome mocks. Yeah, I think cards that have never been legal in modern. It's like hard to really justify that they're a, a, they like not relevant. It's, it's like not a modern card. Yeah, it's different than Hogak, right? Like Hogak was legal in modern briefly, but broke the format in half. It versus Chrome mocks, which I have no idea if Chrome mocks would be good in modern. Chrome mocks could be bad. Yeah. I don't think it would be bad, but I, <laughs> <laughs> there are cards on the ban list that have been on there since the beginning that like there's arguments like GTA people argue all the time is not as good as people think it is. I, I'm not arguing that. I think GTA is as powerful as people say it is, but GTA, we have no frame of reference with the power level of GTA as a modern versus Ayabugan, Treasure Cruise, Dig Through Time, Gargari Grave Troll, etc., which I think we can have a little bit more of a, a holistic conversation around. So yeah, so that's 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 what I wanted today's episode to be about. Yeah, I, I think the conversation surrounding like what are we going to use to determine this? Like the whole is it holistically powerful? Is it like ubiquitous? You know, like if you look at the original Power Nine, they're rares, they're the most expensive cards, but they're also cards that effectively don't require a lot to be played, right? Like six of them are colorless, can be played in any deck, and every deck gets better by playing those six cards. The other three are all blue and none of them cost more than a single blue, which ultimately means like they all can be played in a deck that wants to just play blue. Like you just, all you have to do is have access to a single blue source and you can play these cards. So it's like when I think about some of the options that we could be talking about that, you know, like Kiki Jiki is really powerful, but to play Kiki Jiki, you have to have a really specific deck. It requires triple red. It's a combo card, right? I'm not saying that card would be on the list, but I think you understand my point. Like I'm, I'm I'm curious what the what the parameters here are going to be. So is it just the nine most pound for pound powerful cards ever? I think I think because because the, the original power nine aren't all ubiquitous, right? There there's some ubiquity, right? The 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 Moxin and, and et cetera. But like Time Twister isn't right. Time Walk, I would argue, is also not the most ubiquitous person. But I, I think I think I agree with you that it needs to have some variety to it and some song lo- longevity to it. I'm interested on in the rare conversation, right? Because that is part of it. I mean, like, there's a version of the power nine, which is just what are the nine most expensive cards in modern, which actually I would be interested to look that up. I almost am like are fetch lands a slot. Like, are they a, are a power nine slot? The whole the the, the type of card. No, or, no. And I, I would. I, well, so 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 lands weren't dual lands weren't included, right? Like uh, the fetch lands are the dual lands of of this to to, to then. So none of the lands count. I, I None of the. There's one land I do want to talk about that I think could be included and maybe deserves it. And that is and let's maybe start there uh, okay. for extending all mana fixing lands. I think Ayabugan should be considered in this conversation. Because of its immense level of power, Roka Pro Tour, it it it, ch- it changed the game. Um, but it's also not ubiquitous outside of that moment, outside of those decks, right? It wasn't good before that. It was only good during that time. It was only good because of the new printing of these Eldrazi cards. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I would include I have Ugin. It doesn't to me feel like a card that is that is representative of like what we're talking about. I'm trying to think if there's any land yet, like that is just an like. Hasn't been long enough for me to say Urza Saga, but I would be more inclined to go with a card like that than a card like I have Ugin because it's like every single deck is pretty much made better by playing Urza Saga, like pretty much ever <laughs> like this, right? Like that's more that's more in my mind where I'm going with. It's like like what this is what I'd like to start with. Tell me if this is OK with you, because mm-hmm. I think this is a great place. I think we can both agree that Deathrite Shaman is a is a modern power nine card. Yes. Yeah. 
I think Death Ray Shaman is the first on the list. So, so the reason I go Death Ray Shaman and I say that card applies, but like Ayabugan doesn't, decks literally that were not Death Ray Shaman decks, decks that weren't even necessarily playing Death Ray Shaman colors as their primary colors, were like, we just have to figure out a way to play this card because it's better than all the other cards and it's black slash green. It can be played in basically any deck. Like, it's easy for every deck to play this card and every deck is made better by supporting it. So, like, all decks now need to play this card because it's legal. And that to me is indicative of like a power nine card. The power level, obviously we've talked about death rate shaman is the most powerful creature ever printed. It's the most powerful planeswalker ever printed. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke, but it, it is the most powerful creature ever printed. I, I don't think there's a more powerful creature than death rate shaman in magic's history. There's the Ragavan debate, but yeah, I agree. I think, I think, I think we've had this conversation a few times and I think we've come to death rate shaman every time. Yeah, because, you know, obviously you get past a one drop like the, you, there are certainly cards that are very powerful for their rate. But like turn one is so important in magic and it's the, the versatility and power and the acceleration. It's just the card's very good. So for me, Deathrite Shaman would be an easy first spot on my on my modern power nine. You concur? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. OK, so I, I do have uh, as the so we got our first one, Deathrite Shaman, put it on the board. Um, the next the next, the next thing I want to talk is is, is rarity, because uh, that's one thing that was pretty specific about the original set was that Soul Ring was not included on the power, the original Power Nine, even though arguably Soul Ring is better than Black Lotus. Like I have made that argument on the internet many times before, and is definitely more powerful than Time Walk uh, and Time Twister. Um, so, is Soul Ring? If Soul Ring is not included, can we include anything that's not commons and uncommons? I think for the purpose of this conversation, I don't think we have to stick to rarity. I think modern is from a time, and this is funny coming from me after all of our conversations about rarity, but modern is of a time where the cards that are being printed that are the best are not necessarily always going to be mythic rare. Like it, they're not, it, it doesn't, you don't need that to be the case. Um, I do have my opinions about the splashiness of cards and where they're printed in terms of like an uncommon being like a splashy card is less common so i still will have my like rare versus mythic rare surprises but i recognize that's kind of my opinion on that's just wrong so i don't think for this conversation we have to worry about that i i would say that like for instance a card that you and i have talked about that is not a rare that i think feels like a modern power nine card think is lightning bolt i feel like that's a power nine card i feel like it's Death yeah. Shaman snuck in there early, but I would put Lightning Bolt as like my first pick if someone were going to ask if put my feet to the fire. Yeah, I agree. Lightning Bolt's on this list. It's the most representative magic card of modern, right? Our our, our freaking logo mm-hmm. of our podcast correct, correct. Is, is, is a Lightning Bolt. And, and what's crazy about Lightning Bolt, and I think the elegance of the design, we've talked about this before, but like the idea that this card was designed in alpha at rate and is still competitive and playable, like it's still consistently great is such a wild achievement for them to have come up with early on mm-hmm. all the different bells and just the, the small things, the fact that it's an instant, right? The fact that it's three, not two the fact that it's to anything like it, there's just, there's just so many, the fact that it doesn't have any stupid extra text that like, like chain lightning, for instance, is a good example of like the janky version where it's a sorcery and it has this weird other text that makes it not feel clean right. or elegant at all. Lightning bolts, the exact opposite. It's like, so simple, so easy to understand, and it set the standard forever of what you were going to be able to do with a burn spell. Like everything is essentially designed around Lightning Bolt, and that's stayed consistent since 1993 and has also defined the modern format for the last 11 years. 
No, I, I, I agree. I think it's it's I I could sit on a on a very wide audience balcony and shout that Lightning Bolt is actually the most iconic magic card of all time. Yeah. More than any other card, more than Black Lotus, more than any other card printed. Black Lotus being as expensive as it is, is the one argument against it. Right. But that's part of the, you know, part of the other half. Way more people have played Lightning Bolt than Black Lotus by multitudes of infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's, there's definitely a lot there, right? All right. So the next, next, next card, and and, and we're going to go like back and forth. So I think, I think this is a card. Okay. So this is, this is maybe my hot take. I don't think this is that hot of a take. I think there's a version. So the power nine originally, and and this kicks, kicks death, right? Shaman off the list. Don't keep it up there and have lightning bolt underneath it, but this kicks death, right? Shaman off, off the list in this argument. So the original power nine, three blue cards, six artifacts. Is there an argument that it should be all one color <laughs> and should it just be lightning bolt, lightning bolt, faithless looting Raghavan <laughs> and then six artifacts that we come up with? I don't think that works because there's not enough powerful artifacts in the format, but are all three of them on this list? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think Raghavan, looting and bolt are the, they're interesting choices. I thought about looting specifically when we were getting I was looking at the band list here and it came across, you know, it came across my desk, so to speak. I do think Raghavan my only thing with Raghavan is as good as that card is, and, and it's incredibly good. It, it's also really new, and I it makes me wonder, like, I don't know. I mean, I do think it's a power nine card. It's just like like Deathrite Shaman, I feel so much more comfortable assigning that to, or and bolt, and even even looting, because it's like we saw so many years of so many decks built around them. Whereas, like, I wouldn't think to put, you know, uh wait, was Oko ever legal in modern? It was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't think to put Oko on a power nine, even though like, so, so is our argument like, um, the cards that don't deserve to be on the power nine are flash in the pan bands. So the, the delve cards. So time you know, cut that cuts all the delve cards out that cuts, that cuts Ivugan, that cuts Hogak, that cuts your argument is theoretically Raghavan, maybe, uh, that cuts, it cuts a lot of like the random stuff from for the spark onward, right? Get the like, once upon a time, Uro, uh, Oko specifically. Like these are cards that were like Mystic Monastery. I, I think I think they're I I wouldn't necessarily say there's a hard and fast rule here. Cause I think that for me, the most important factor is that is the nature of the card having kind of uh like this is generically good. So a great example of that would be like Bridge from Bridge from Below is a great card. It's a hyper specific one deck or two deck archetype card that's triple black. That's like not good in like a it's not like a good magic card. It's like a functional piece of some strategies. Whereas like Treasure Cruise is a blue card that if you're playing blue, every modern deck can work if it wants to. It can just change the way that it's built slightly to play Treasure Cruise. Every single deck in modern if it wanted to. If that card was legal, every deck would just figure out a way to play it. Like just to me, it doesn't really feel like it represents modern in any way. Yeah. But I mean, I think you understand my point. I'm not saying necessarily is there, but if it was legal, it would be ubiquitous, but like a lot of these other cards, it's generically good. And like any deck drawing cards for a good rate is always good. Well, that was the problem with the, like once the once upon a time should be in consideration. I thought about it. I thought about, I thought about once upon a time I came across, like I looked at it and I was like, well, that card is like, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, why don't we start with stuff that's iconic as well as powerful? Because I think, 
Yeah, I think so. I think Tarmogoyf is a is a power nine card. Tarmogoyf's been like a staple creature, minimum of forty dollars, as high as one hundred and forty dollars or two hundred dollars at one point for the modern's entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. Through powerful printings, other creatures, other printings, Tarmogoyf has stayed consistent. Like I'm happy with. Deathrite Shaman. This is such a boomer list. It's so funny. I'm happy with Deathrite Shaman, <laughs> Tarmogoyf, and Lightning Bolt as our first three cards. Those those all those all make sense to me. Oh, They're like, I, think, I think looting is on the list. I thought we kind of said looting was on the list. Yeah, I'll go with looting. Okay. And I'll go with Ragavan. I will go with Ragavan. I'm, I'm willing to put Ragavan on. But we right. can table it if we want. Like, it well, does feel like... Things can get kicked off when we bring them up. So the next card I would bring up is Mox Opal. Speaking of, the, can there be a Power 9 without a Mox on it? Is that allowed? I think Opal is like a slam dunk. Like yeah. I, to me, that like if you were going to ask me, it's like representative in like a lot of different ways. Define modern through every era until it was gone. What about Cataxian Probe? No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's always been the best cantrip. Even uh, like there are other cantrips that were banned. I think like for instance, I don't think Treasure Crew should be on this list. Like I, I, I don't. I don't think it. It. I think it is as flash in the panny as Hogak is and as as Irugan is. What about Grand Architect? <laughs> absolutely not but uh speaking of uh architects this is a terrible segue emrakul oh i think so because i think there's a level of importance right like there's a level of like the history of modern and the importance to the history of modern that some of these cards need to have mm-hmm. and i think that emrakul hits that pretty you know pretty hard i think it is one of the most iconic cards printed in the last 30 years agreed yeah agreed and what's cool about it is that it was printed Anytime a card is printed that long ago and stays relevant for that long, it kind of keeps its spot, its special spot for a long time. I'm always impressed by it. And mm-hmm. Emrakul was printed in 2010, and it still is like the ultimate threat. Okay. Uh, Thoughtseize. That's the next one I was going to say. Yeah, I think so. I think Thoughtseize. It's interesting because like we used to have our like one drop in every color and then our two drop creatures. And like of all those categories... Only a couple of them, I feel like, make it here. Thought season lightning bolt for sure, as far as the one drops go. Um, you know, I don't think any of the other eh, path maybe at the noble hierarch are like the two, like so. The, so, so let's go. So, the, the, the one drop cycle, right, is thought season, lightning bolt, path, noble hierarch, and um. Uh, Serum Visions Vision definitely is not on the list. Agreed. There's that. That was my point with Cadaxian Pro, right? There's like five blue cantrips that all kind of are interchangeable between Opt, the new one that surveils, uh, the you know Serum Visions, even Ponder and Preordain were legal at one point. Treasure Cruise, Cadaxian Pro, Thought Scour. I don't think Hierarch makes it either. I think Hierarch gets. I think I think Hierarch barely misses because I, I think Deathrite Shaman's on there and it already kind of takes that spot. Mm-hmm. Um. I think path is right on the line. It's been incredibly good, but it's not actually that way now as much as it used to be. It's still like one of the best cards, but there's also a lot of options now. Prismatic ending gets played a lot. You see people play a lot of solitudes now. Obviously, we've had fatal push these last few years. It's played a lot. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really good removal now. Path doesn't feel quite as necessary as it once did, whereas Lightning Bolt and Thoughtseize are still just pound for pound without even really blinking the best of their version. Yeah, I agree. I I, I don't I don't think Path makes it either as much as I like. OK, uh, Snapcaster Mage. I would have said yes, classically, I think. 
Because right now, now we're in the two drops, right? Those are the those are the five iconic one drops, the five iconic true drops. This is a, you know, the and there's there's a few there's more on here that I think are con. I think Dark Confidant isn't on there. It's close. Sorry, I said Tarmogoyf is. Um, I don't think Young Pyromancer is. Yep, Stoneforge, maybe, but it's only been legal for a little while. I mean, it's really good, but it like Stoneforge. came off the ban list. Stoneforge came off the ban list, and like it is really good, but it's not like ubiquitous in the way that I would imagine. I always imagine it would be where it would warp mm-hmm. the format around it. It's just good in the decks. It's good in like any magic card, but I don't feel like it's. I don't know. I don't think Stoneforge makes it. Uh, I, I because I think, I think it, it was could in the long run, uh, but I agree. If it if it had been on the legal was banned, then came off, it would be there for me. But the fact that it yeah. just was unbanned does feel less like it belongs on this list versus a legacy power nine. Um, yeah. And then so then I think Snapcaster for me, though, does. I don't like Snapcaster Mage has defined modern in a way that very few cards have. Like, I don't know if I can think of a more defining card for blue, even now with it seeing less play than it used to which does make this a semi-boomer take on the card. <laughs> like, are like Tarmogoy like Snapcaster picks here? Such boomer. Well, no, such, no, no, no. I will defend Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf was seeing for a play in Jund, in Zoomer Jund, which was a top 10, top tier deck, 5% of the metagame. Tarmogoyf belongs on this list. Now, what happens post Lurus? You know, people need to figure their stuff out. But Snapcaster made back in my day. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, back in my day three weeks ago when Loris was, we haven't even been able to do an episode in the Loris band that goes over what the metagame looks like because it's not settled yet, and we would just be like behind by a weekend. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a snap. I think it's, I mean, it's, I don't even have to give it to you. I love that card. I, I think, I think it's fair. I think Snapcaster makes it. Um, Those are the two iconic cycles in modern, the ones and the twos. They're mm-hmm. like really the the standouts that and, and we've got concluded a lot of those cards. Now, as far as the stuff outside of those cycles that that is like and has that have been the like state, you know, standouts. We talked about them. Opal for sure. Deathrite for sure. Ragavan for sure. Um, I think Ragavan's a maybe still for me, but uh Emrakul. I mean, aside from those cards, I'm trying to think what else is like. I have two big ones. Okay. Blood Moon and Primeval Titan that are missing. Primetime, I'm a little more. So Blood Moon and Primetime are both interesting. Blood Moon is interesting, but it's really and is and has always been the most played and prominent sideboard card in modern, but it still is a sideboard card. Well, there, like are, entire, there are there are pro tour winning almost every single modern pro tour top eighting outside of the broken versions of the format blood moon focus decks in blue moon and or sun and moon which then became just red white prison yeah i mean debatable i don't know if i put blood moon on the list i think blood moon would be like in the, the power 18 okay. <laughs> but I, okay. I don't think blood moon quite makes and i think primeval titan to be honest with you is probably like card number 10 on this list would be my that's what my gut tells me because primeval titan the thing about it and, and it, look primeval titan could if primeval titan is on the list the top nine i wouldn't be shocked because there's a world in which you could convince me that primeval titan for instance is more important on this list than say even tarmogoyf there's a world in which you could convince me primeval titan should be on this list over snapcaster mage if we're being honest if we're talking about important creatures to modern's history that are like slightly less powerful than they used to be primeval titan is not <laughs> It's still played. It's still a standard card. 
archetypes still are like shaped around it. It's existed for 10 years and it stayed as the only card that does what it does. Like there's a world in which Primeval Titan is more significant to this list than Snapcaster Mage, but we have more than nine. So some of these cards are going to get pushed to the second page. Let's see what's on the list. We got Deathrite Shaman. We got Lightning Bolt. We got Looting. We got Tarmogoyf. We got Ragavan. We got Mox Opal. We got Emrakul. We got Thoughtseize. We got Snapcaster Mage. We got Primeval Titan. And we got Liliana the Veil. Oh, you added Lily. You just threw oh, it in. Sorry, there. sorry. Liliana Veil was the next card on my list. We just nestled it in there. I, I nestled that in there, but, but we don't have to add Lily. So before we get to Lily, well, okay. But before, I, I think it's, I'm a big fan of uh, my deck building method, which is kind of what we're doing here, is to make a big pile of cards and then just start shaving cards off of it, right? Like make cuts after you figure out your pile. Does Liliana the Veil deserve to be in the pile to begin with? Yes, but it's the same conversation we just had a second ago about page two. I can tell you, I can tell you without even putting it in the top nine, it's like in the Blood Moon type. It's like in, it's in that, it's in that conversation where you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about the 14th card, the 12th card. I just know because of the ones to me that feel like they fit and the, I can already count in my head how close we are to nine that when you're adding cards, like that's not better than or more iconic than most of the stuff that we're talking about here. So I would say Lily is probably a page two. I mean, okay. uh, some other ones, Court of Calling. Real, great card, but no. Uh, Birthing Pod. It's too deck specific, I think. It's a great card, obviously. And same, it's the same conversation for Splinter Twin, right? Like both are, both are <laughs> super iconic and both like have a huge place in the format. And both of them, if this list was the top 25 most important cards in modern history, they're all the cards we just mentioned. We just pretty much made the top 25. Like we just did that. But as far as the power nine conversation goes, which I think is a little more specific, there's a combination of power, sort of pound for pound, ubiquitous power, and then the iconic and importance nature of the card. All those things have to kind of line up and there's only nine. So I think some of those cards like Birthing Pod, incredibly good, but very specific, whereas Lightning Bolt is not, nor is Thoughtseize, nor is Mox Opal. There's 25 decks that built around Mox Opal over the, the years. Anamorphos. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I, it's not going to make the top nine, but it's but it's closer to the type of card I'm talking about. That card has been in 75 decks. That card has been in like... The it's, almost, you know, it's almost like the opposite problem where it's 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 like, a, <laughs> I don't know. It's like not iconic in a way that's weird. Like it's never... It's like yeah. the workhorse of the format. Like it, it almost it is, is weird. The soul, ring, the soul ring where it's like, mm, this needs too much play. <laughs> it's not it's weird. That Metamorphose is less iconic than it is because, or less iconic than it should be because that card is like, when you want to talk about like cards that enable, in fact, the fact that that card hasn't been banned at this point is kind of wild. The, the, when you want to talk about cards that enable certain strategies or even types of decks. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what would have happened to modern history if Metamorphose had been banned five years ago, 10 years ago? Like it, it's been like an essential and irreplaceable card in like 25 different strategies. Mm-hmm. Like Storm couldn't exist without Metamorphose. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm pretty sure. Oh, I found I found the Tarmogoyf deck that's still still relevant. Uh, the number one most represented version of Murktide Region decks right now are Tarmogoyf, is a Tarmogoyf deck. Oh, really? Yeah. Now Pretty rug cool. with the 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 uh, lack of um, Loros in the format. But is it like Murktide with Goyf kind of bad? Is you drain your graveyard well enough that you don't. It doesn't really matter as much, and your opponent gets stuff into their graveyard. Okay uh i it's i'm i'm just using the 
the MTG Goldfish deck listing, and it's it's the number one on the list. Um, the okay, uh, additional cards. Um, so Luris is obviously not not. I think that's another flash of the pan conversation. It's a ban list that didn't wasn't iconic. Golgari Grave Troll. Dredge has been incredibly important, and there's been multiple dredge decks over the years doing different things. This card always makes those decks better. But I do think of it as a, a more specific card. So like whereas like Emrakul has shown up as a two of in like a bunch of famous decks, it's still the go-to option for all of the decks that want to cheat a big thing into play. Like I mean, there's a couple other options. Obviously, like Gristlebrand, but like if you can do Emrakul, like if you can put it in from your hand, or you can, like it's the card, right? Or Primeval Titan. You cannot build strategies that want Primeval Titan without that card. And there's a lot of different versions of those decks, whether it's Scape Shift or it's Titan decks, or like there's three or four different versions of those Titan decks. There's, you know, there, there's like that card has just been in a lot of different top eights represented in different ways. I feel like Grave Troll is a little too specific. I looked a little too Agreed. like, yeah, it's like the same. It's the same conversation I'd have about Hogak, you know, or like any of those fast ban cards. They're they're like linchpins that make a certain strategy very good. But outside of that strategy, they don't do very much. All right. Force of negation. Ooh, this one. If it was still as like. If it was still gaining steam, I would say so. It is the ninth most commonly played spell in the format. Yeah, I mean, it is still very popular. I just feel like there was this point when that card got printed. This is like in my mind, the cycle. Card got printed. We all were like, wow, we have a force of will now. Then there was this period of like, oh, it's not quite as good as people thought because mm-hmm. it's, you know, he does, doesn't have the optionality. And then it was like, well, actually, it's still very good and everyone's playing it. And then it was like, oh, yeah, everybody just plays this card. But it's not like everybody just plays this card because it's going to make you win like force of will and legacy does. It's like everybody plays this card because it's the best version of the effect. And I think it's really good, but I don't think that the decks that play that card get like infinitely worse without it i think they just get a little worse so i I don't is there a world where if force of will was printed in alpha it would be uh on the power nine list versus time twister i don't even think it's like a question i think yeah if that was if that had been printed if that was printed in the initial set like by all accounts that card should have been i mean i'm glad it wasn't because i think that the play design is more complex than i want out of my power cards my like original set it's like a second level magic card um there's something cool about it coming in this the the late first era of magic like it's them starting to explore design space but i do think that if it had been printed in the first set it would be on there ahead of time twister okay uh cavern of souls it's a great suggestion. I like it a lot. I like it because it fits into a lot of different strategies. It's one Pro Tours or well, one GPs, I should say. What's well, got it had to have been in Pro Tour winning decks, right? I don't know that there's ever been a tribal Pro Tour winning deck, has there? Well, but it could have oh, been like, yeah, sure. But continue. Maybe in maybe it's standard. Um, no, but, I meant more. I meant more like a, like it's in the deck in like a deck that's just like wants to not get countered with the one card they're playing with it. Not, but yeah, continue. Yeah, I was thinking elves, merfolk, humans, something like that. Um, interesting. I I think we're grasping at straws outside the top nine here. I I kind of think we have the top nine. This was what my gut told me. Well, I have a few. I have a few remainders. Chalice of the Void. I thought about this one. It being an artifact is the <laughs> it's the most like convincing for me. 
Um, and the reason <laughs> is because this card, I mean, okay. So if we want to talk about like a card that has had success in main decks, this was in the main decks of all of those Ayabugan decks. They were all playing this card, right? As a four of in the main deck. So like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the same way that that season was defined by Ugin, this is also defined by this card. This has been in sideboards for years. There's a world in which I think Chalice of the Void is actually on this list. It's the same world that I think Simeon Spirit Guide's on this list. Like, it's the same, like, moment where I'm like, you could convince me based on Modern's history that either one of those makes the nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I would fight, I, I, I mean, Spirit Guide, in fact, maybe I'm just going to argue for Spirit Guide. Spirit Guide maybe deserves top nine. No. No, no, I think lightning bolt sneaks on and I think lightning bolt and looting sneak on as not rares. But I think like Simeon spirit guide to me does not fit the bill in the way some of these other cards do. I think I think we kind of agreed that right now for this first version of the list, we're not including any of the modern horizons two cards. All right. So let's last last uh, Jace the mind sculptor. The funky one, right? And the reason is for because it was banned initially when the format started. It was unbanned and similar to Star- Deathrite Shaman, turned out to be a really good magic card, <laughs> but didn't turn out to be format defining. It just turned out to be really good, like good in the decks it's good in, played as a two of in control decks, splits with Teferi, Teferi's. Doesn't seem to be more important to the decks that it's in than I would say either of the fairies for the most part. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think so. I think if it. it Yeah, no, I think if maybe the format had started with it in the format from the beginning, it would be. And there's a part of me that wonders what would have happened if we had started with Jace. Like, is there a part of you that thinks about some of these cards that had that started out on the ban list that became unbanned? And if we had just started out with those cards in the format, what modern would have looked like or like what would have been good would have survived. Like what if Jason Stoneforge was in modern in 2011? Oh, I think would have dominated. I mean, we've seen Jason and Stoneforge Mystic be very good. And I think the things that make them not as good now didn't exist. Right, right, right. Magic's just way more powerful than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the, I think like obviously the spectrum, right, is jason stoneforge mystic legal and standard together and jason stoneforge mystic legal now jason stoneforge mystic legal and standard together broke the format in half in such a thorough way that it was one of the first in the era when they were banning stuff in a much more conservative way broke the format in a way that hadn't been broken in a long time uh jason stoneforge is now actual staples of the format stoneforge mystic has at least two if not three key format defining decks built around it jason the mind sculptor is seeing play as the 17th most played spell in modern currently, uh, I believe Stoneforge Mystic might be the most, uh, or is it on the creature list? It is the top 20 uh, uh, most played creature in the format. So like, I don't think you could argue for either of them. And the power level of modern is drastically larger now than it was six years ago, eight years ago, whatever. So I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's a comparable um era yeah uh, to be honest that's fair all right so our our list because i have i have i have a different version of this list that i'll read through that's like less argument based uh in a second as the as the next thing and then we can get to the last piece but right now we have death road shaman lightning bolt faithless looting tarmogoy faragavan mox opal emrakul thought snapcaster mage primeval titan and force of negation that is 11 cards we have to cut two 
My gut tells me force of negation is getting cut. That's an okay. easy cut. What does your gut tell you out of that 10 gets cut? Emerical? <sighs> Thoughtsies? Interesting. I don't think so. Think position of Kozlek being like often the better option anyways. Kind of the same reason Noble Hierarch isn't on this list. It's fair. I would probably cut. No, Emrakul's iconic. I might cut Primetime. No, 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 no. I believe I've argued that Primeval Titan is responsible for more cards on the ban list than any other card currently there. Maybe Gutshot. It's like Gutshot and Primeval Titan are like responsible for more cards being banned than any other card in Modern. I'll give you I'll give you Thoughtseize. I I will. Okay. All right. Our list are this is the Ben and Alex, maybe a little bit Boomer, uh, top nine, power nine of Modern. Deathrite Shaman, Lightning Bolt, Looting, Tarmogoyf, Ragavan, Mox Opal, Emrakul, Snapcaster Mage, and Primeval Titan. All that right. That seems pretty accurate to me. Okay. Okay. Now, do you want to hear the other version of a, of a Power Nine? Yes. And I want you on your hands to count the cards I list. Okay. So, this is the argument for a different version of the Power Nine. This Power Nine is top nine staples listed by cost. Most expensive, okay. Most expensive cards. And we didn't talk about this one, but kind of we kind of avoided the Modern Horizons cards. Renin 6 is number one on this list. How much is Renin 6? Renin 6 is currently $100. Oh, that's it? Uh, next. Uh, and, and, and we can... I'm, I'm going to list them literally every card in, in order. Most expensive. This is from Scryfall. Um, Renin 6, Oboro, Palace in the Clouds. Doesn't feel like it belongs on. That doesn't feel like a Power <laughs> 9 card. Doubling Season. Has nothing to do with modern, not a power nine modern card. Ragavon is number two. Interesting. Okay. All right. Cavern of Souls is number three. Force of Negation is number four. Okay. Next, we have Blight Soul Colossus. That's not a modern card. Painter Servant, not a modern, you know, not, not, nothing to do with modern. Greater Artemis, nothing to do with modern. Next is Kozilek Butcher of Truth. Interesting. Which is wild nothing, to me. No, nothing to do with modern, though. No. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that has to do with modern. That is not one. So one, two. So at this point, we have Ren and Six, one, Ragavan, two, Cavern of Souls, three, Force of Negation, four. Next on the list is Liliana of the Veil at five. How much is that card? Like $75? Uh, it is, yeah, somewhere between 60 and, and, and 100, depending on the listing. Next on the list, so that's five, is Urza, Lord High Artificer. Yeah, at yep, six. Next is Chalice of the Void at seven. Yep. Uh, next is Jace the Mind Sculptor at eight. Ironically, Thrumming Stone is on here. <laughs> also nothing to do with modern. And number nine. And this is the last card before we get into some fetch lands. Seasoned Pyromancer at number, oh, yeah. at number nine. Seasoned Pyromancer. The seasoned so that, Pyromancer. That is, that is the... Power nine of modern. If the only qualification is that you are a modern staple and you are the most expensive cards in the format. And that is a obviously modular list like at solitude at some point was higher. Solitude is the next card. And then Stoneforge mystic uh, are the next two cards is pretty silly. If I'm being honest, I, I feel like our power nine is that, far more that was the original power nine. The original power nine existed because they were the most the the nine most expensive cards from alpha and beta that's all that list is i mean in 2011 
what were the nine most expensive cars in modern? <laughs> I have That's no good. way of looking that up. In 2011, yeah. I would imagine it's Tarmogoyf is number one. Liliana of the Veil, yeah. Snapcaster Mage, Fetchlands. Yeah, that seems pretty accurate. Karn, probably. Yeah, Karn the Great Creator was up there for a while. Karn, Karn, Karn Liberated. Great Creator wasn't printed yet. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Karn, Karn Liberated, which we didn't talk about either of those. Karn, 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 uh, Liberated's iconic, but it's not yeah. as it's not as iconic as Lily. Yeah, I think okay. our I think our Power Nine is better. I think it, it to me it feels more <laughs> to me it feels more accurate. So I think I would lean in, lean so, into ours. So that that is the Power Nine of modern conversation. Those are the two lists. I think you could pick which one you want to go with. I uh, Ben likes his. I don't hate the the cost one. I think that one's really interesting. As you like an actual, you think season pyromancer should be on a power nine list? Uh, I think season pyromancer will season pyromancer will get knocked out by uh, Stoneforge Mystic or Solitude within the next year. Or yeah, the I mean, there are some of the other cards on there were sweet, like Cavern of Souls. Like there's some there are some that definitely stand out that I think are cool. But yeah, I, I think I think I think uh, both Solitude and Stoneforge Mystic, which are the next two, and they're like neck and neck, will knock out season pyromancer. But I think season pyromancer of like the whole caveat of like these cards have nothing to do with modern and they're expensive. Like this doesn't hold water. Cause like we know that, but that also they're legal in modern and they're expensive. So like if we're going off of the cost list, then like, it's just whatever the most expensive nine cards are. Well, which, but the card, a lot of the cards that we have, well, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. all right. Now last conversation for the night before the podcast ends. Uh, and that is the power nine currently other than time twister. And we talked about this before, which is the only legal one in commander. I, was asked this today on the internet. What is your hot take has to be just insane. What is your most insane hot take? No, no soft takes here. And mine was unban all of the power nine and commander. The original power nine, the original. Yeah. Yeah. Not our power nine, the original power nine. Why? Black Lotus, just... All five mocks in time twister, time walk, all unbanned and allow everybody to play proxies. <laughs> well, I think that happened. That happens already, right? The proxy conversation, obviously, from head uh, head sources, is not not being mentioned. But it's not like like the the general consensus on the internet is that if you are anti proxy in Commander, you are the more toxic person than the person who is pro proxy. The only issue with that is, I just think like games of Commander already swing pretty hard when you deal with the powerful cards that are just like 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 okay like like uh, I've played a lot of Dockside, right? Like mm-hmm. I have played that card a lot of times and. The card is really good and it's good in the decks that it's good in. And it's also just good in all decks, even if it's not in a deck like the decks I build. It's especially good, but it's just good anyway. If I play Dockside in the right moment, it wins the game straight up wins the game on its own. Um, I don't think that Commander needs more cards that make it swingy. So like if Black Lotus is legal and we everyone's going to play Black Lotus proxies because nobody has them. Well, no, no, because a lot of people don't play proxies, right? So so. There's a especially in the more casual, the more casual of a crowd you're in, the less proxy friendly you are. Like it, it is a self solving problem, right? Like I, I guess, so I guess like the one guy owns Black Lotus and wants to take it out of his thirty thousand dollar case or whatever. They they get to use it, and it's like, but they're also not going to be using it to like combo win. They're going to use it to pump out a five five or a five drop on turn two. I know, but I guess my point is like. I would play a proxy Black Lotus in every single deck ever. And I would play all the mocks in because why wouldn't you? Because like the only reason you wouldn't is out of respect for your casual group. But if you're trying to play, if you're going to proxy it once ever in a single deck, then like, 
I'm never going to buy those cards, <laughs> which means that if they're available to me to be played as proxies, I, I just don't think it makes Commander better. Well, I guess so that, that was one of the reasons they were banned. I mean, the Moxon, the, the, the cost is Commander, right? Like uh, uh, the, the color identity affects Moxon. So you only get access to the ones in your colors. They become auto includes okay. unless you're, you know, whatever. Time Walk is probably the most toxic of the list like if i were to pick a card i don't want on banned on these it's yeah. like the, the one that's going to make me the least happy it's time walk like time walk is going to ca- cause sure. the most problems i think ancestral recall honestly could be unbanned like not as a hot take but as well not not as a steaming hot insane take just as like a normal hot take i think ancestral recall is totally fine legal and commander i don't think it is busted in any way yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. The conversation here is really fascinating. You know, what's funny about this conversation is that one of the things that has made Highlander Gauntlet such a fun time for us over the years playing it is that there's six decks, right? So even if you have powerful cards, you know they're not going to show up in every single deck because you have to split them up. That's the only thing that I dislike about this idea is that Commander, if we're going to allow proxies, it's just it makes me feel like I would I would always want to be playing blue and I would always be playing a Mox, a Lotus, and those three cards. And I already play Twister in most, like I don't have a Twister, and I play Twister in almost every blue deck. Okay, so are you playing Jeweled, are you playing Jeweled Lotus in every deck you own? No, but that's because Jeweled Lotus is bad at later in the game, unless I need an expensive commander recast. But for me and the commanders I play, they cost two or one. Is it Prismari? Because it's insane Maybe. in Prismari. That is an insane card in that deck. It might be. I think that card's cheesy, so I don't play it. <laughs> that that sentiment applies to a lot of these cards in this format yeah but then when i'm playing against you and you have a black lotus and it's just a piece of scrap paper that says black lotus i'm like why am i not playing black lotus i i i I hear your point if it did happen we would play with it i feel like it is unnecessary and doesn't make commander more fun well but like have you've played cube right playing the playing powerful cards is fun yeah. And and I would say that a lot of the power nine do not create. I would say the mocks are a problem. I, I, I think I can agree with that. It gives a power. It, it, it gives more power to the more colors you're playing, which I think is a thing you want to avoid. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's really the biggest argument against them to me is that like basically now I'm incentivized to play a five color deck because I get five mocks in. Every yeah. other every other commander is worse. It's like the Golos argument, right? Like every other commander is worse than me playing this five color deck because five Moxen and having access to them in my deck is better than any commander that exists. Yes, uh, exactly. I think that time walk creates negative experiences. Time Twister is already legal. So then the question is, is Black Lotus, which I actually think is fine, but it would just be so expensive that would maybe be limiting or and and ancestral recall. Which like time to like, are you playing treasure cruise in any deck you own? Yeah. Yeah. Prismari. Uh, I think I play cruise in like most of my blue decks. Most of my decks are pretty spell heavy. So most of my commander decks, I'm like fine with it. Is it, is it an overpowered experience or is it just like, like, is it that card is broken in every format, right? Like it's it has, (laughs) I mean, it's a great draw when I draw it. I'm always real happy about it. Sure. No, it's a good card. Not arguing. It's a good, and obviously ancestral recall is one of the best cards ever printed, but I think in commander, the way it scales, probably fine this is me just arguing that ancestral recall should be on banning commander i guess i mean I, there, there's like ancestral recall as a really playing powerful cards is fun i think your point about five color incentivization is a strong point that i think is probably a good reason to not unban the moxin even if you have a lotus in your deck and you draw it mid game 
it's not going to be that much of a swing. It only really is going to be a massive swing when it's in your opening hand. Like in the first two or three draws, that's where the game feels so, so stilted. But the point is... Like, think about the amount of people that have argued that Soul Ring is better than Black Lotus. And, and think about how it feels. And, and think about how it feels in a game with four people where one guy draws his soul ring in his opener and the others don't. And like, he doesn't do something broken. He actually plays pretty fair. He doesn't attack anybody. He just starts to build a presence and he's so much further ahead just by that virtue of one thing. I don't know that we need more of that. Like it's already fine that soul ring exists and mana crypt exists. Like the day I've had those hands where I draw both in my opener. I'm like, this is so dumb. I like, I think black Lotus would be less toxic to commander than, mana crypt is i mean i think it's a it's, 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 soul ring soul ring is a debate i think soul ring is better than than black lotus for the game not better in power level i think mox uh, i think mana vault is is a more toxic card than black lotus is i guess i guess the, the like black lotus has the combo potential right it has the i play this out of my graveyard using underworld breach infinite amount of times i loop this somehow to make infinite mana whatever that's where black lotus is more broken than 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 mana vault but mana vault most of the time is like wh- like and it's it's drawback though not insignificant like that three life matters is like way more mitigated in, in in 40 card than 20 card yeah i don't know that's that's definitely my like maybe hot take is that black lotus is less powerful than mana vault in commander and that ancestral recall should be unbanned well you heard it here you heard it here first folks tweet at alex follow him on tiktok and argue with him uh, at Kess Wiley on TikTok and on Twitter. I don't post about magic on my TikTok, but I do respond sometimes to Alex's posts on Twitter. And if you ever DM me or tweet at me, uh, I like to answer because I play a lot more commander than I used to. So yeah. I feel like that mostly wraps up our conversation surrounding Power 9. So that is today's episode. Thank you uh, once again to our Patreons. Thank you to Ultra Pro. Thank you to Alter Sleeves. You can go below. There are links uh, to like our favorite cards from Alter Sleeves that if you buy, we get a kickback or just use the code the MMCast and Alter Sleeves to uh, help the podcast and show them that we're supporting them so that they can support us. Big shout out towards Battle Bosses. So uh, uh, it's the game we made. It's really cool. You should check it out. Uh, it uh, is available now on the cast shop uh, and we're just did a whole show at Gamma. There's a bunch of lo- your local game, local game stores that were really excited by it. If you have a local game store that you think would like battle bosses, uh, please let them know that we're out there and that they can reach out to us. Uh, we have a, a link on our website for stores. Uh, we'd love to hear from them and, and to start kind of building that battle bosses community. So thank you uh, to anyone who's played battle bosses has checked it out and, and let us know if you have a local game store that you think might be able to carry it. We're, we're excited to get it out there. Yeah, it's been really, really fun. And, and at Gamma, it was really, really a fun time to talk to local stores and get a feel for people uh, as people have returned to in-person playing experiences and just seeing the general reaction of the game. It was very cool to, to get to talk to new people and store owners, specifically store owners who are giant game nerds like us and seeing their reaction to the game. It was a really, really fun time. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much. We'll talk to all of you next week. Bye, everybody. This has been a session of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.